Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio. We took a week off, but we are back talking Alabama football. For longtime listeners, you're wondering who the hell is this guy doing who the hell is this introduction. And Drew DeArmond, unfortunately, had to work a little bit late, so he'll be joining us later. I am Thomas Watts. They let me out of the cage. The wizard behind the curtain is no longer behind the curtain. He is, in fact, in front of the curtain. I did leave my tuxedo with the dry cleaners, so you'll just kind of have to roll with some cutoffs and some other insanity. But I am joined by our third general amigo, William Redfish Barger, offensive lineman Lord High Poobah from uh, 1989 to 1993. We'll go with I think Lord High Poobah will be your new thing, William. I hate to I hate to tell you, <laughs> but how you doing this evening, Fish? I'm doing good, Thomas. How are you, buddy? Man, I can tell you I've been staring at programming code all day. So talking football is the perfect gear shift for my brain. Well, and let's just get right into it. Uh, we took the week off, took the bye week. You know, life is busy for for unfortunate podcasters, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about. The Ole Miss game. The, do a post-mortem on Ole Miss. Now, we don't, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because, quite honestly, it's been beaten to death by every Alabama podcast under the sun. But let's get out our two-by-fours and hit this dead horse a couple of times. What were your general thoughts coming out of the Alabama-Ole Miss game? I personally thought Alabama was excellent in most, most phases. But where, where, are you, where is your mind on this game, William? Um, I would agree. Um you know, with, with that, other than, you know, I, I thought it was, you know, a little bit concerning that they once again allowed a, you know, a true freshman quarterback, and and I don't think it was any secret what you know Rich Rodriguez's plan was to do with Plumley, um, and and you know they they let him have success. I mean, he you know extended drives, picked up first downs, made explosive plays. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that, that uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, you know, with the defense. You know, hopefully we'll, they've got a, you know, a similar type quarterback, um, you know, this weekend versus Texas A&M. So we'll see if they can improve. But, um, you know, certainly the, the offense was explosive, made a lot of explosive plays. Um, you, you know, it was, it was good to see some of the guys, you know, some of the young faces back like D.J. Dale. Um, but, you know, certainly I, I, I was not expecting, maybe wrongly, maybe maybe I should have expected with all the the new starters and the youth um, on that side of the ball, I just wasn't expecting, you know, whether it's the starters or second-team guys, um, you know, to give up the amount of yards and points that they have, um, you know, in their two SEC games to two freshman quarterbacks. Um, you know, with Helensky at South Carolina and then, you know, two two Saturdays ago almost to, to Plumley. But, um, you know, I, I don't think it's, you know, we're almost to the point in the season where, you know, this team is what it is. And, um, you know, fortunately for them, I don't know if they've, you know, played a, a decent defense yet, but, but certainly against subpar defenses, I think they can score as many points as they want to. And, you know, that might be the BMO of the football team going forward once they play, you know, comparable talent. Um, that they're just, you know, going to have to boat race people and, you know, hope that the defense can get enough stops to, you know, let, let them to continue to win comfortably. And 
that that's fair. I think that's one of the things that really has been talked about a lot. And I want to get into some X's and O's explanation real quick for our listeners as to why the Alabama defense is really having trouble finding itself. And it comes down to how the Alabama defense wants to scheme itself. And it's one of those things where in the past you've had one truly elite unit whether it's the defensive line or the linebackers. Generally the linebackers because Nick Saban's defense really wants to showcase excellent linebackers, highly athletic players. You know, Rolando McClain, Dante Hightower, uh, C.J. Mosley. You know, the list goes on and on. But Alabama wants to run a two-gap scheme in general. And a two-gap scheme means that a defensive lineman has – responsibilities for the gap to his left and the gap to his right, which means in general, you don't want to penetrate hard up the field unless you know what kind of play it is. Now, what happens when a defender guesses on his gap? Uh, This has happened a handful of times this season. It means that a gap's left open and you're hoping that a linebacker can fill it. But what happens when a defensive lineman guesses the wrong gap and the linebacker ends up getting blocked by the offensive lineman? Suddenly it's a jailbreak and everything starts to break down. So then you're hoping, ideally your middle linebacker, who in this case is Shane Lee, is able to adjust and and hopefully redirect the runner. But if Shane Lee misreads it or is put in the wrong gap by a defensive lineman's miscue, Suddenly, that adversely affects Christian Harris, where Christian Harris's gap responsibility gets kind of screwed up because the people around him have made mistakes. Why why am I breaking down all of this stuff? Because if you think about what Alabama has, at points against Ole Miss, you're talking the starting three defensive linemen against Duke, Raekwon Davis, DJ Dale, and LeBron Ray, were not available due to injuries or Alabama was up so much that Nick Saban was just like, Let, let's back it down, get our the people we can't afford to lose out, and give up some yards. So the mistakes on the defensive line amplified mistakes from the linebacker group. Similarly, if a Shane Lee or a Christian Harris takes a bad angle or looks at the wrong gap, that can make a good defensive line play look not so good. So the thing that Alabama fans, I hope they take out of my little spiel, is that at the end of the day, one group can cover for another, but it can le- a, 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 a one mistake can breed more mistakes, and that's why we saw a lot of issues, particularly against John Reese Plumley. Now, the obvious question, and William, I'd like your thoughts on this, but the, to, after I give mine, the obvious question is, how do you fix this? And with the Alabama defense as constructed, you, I think Alabama fans need to accept that it might not get fixed this year because the only way to fix it is to keep giving these guys repetitions and letting them make mistakes and then coaching them to correct those mistakes. This is a trial by fire that you can certainly argue they should be further along than they are all the true freshman starters that have been talked about ad nauseum. But 
the reality is there are so many moving parts that the only way to get all those parts to really gel is to let everybody continue to make mistakes and, and learn their job, literally on the job. But, William, you know, what, where are you in terms of is, is, is the defense as constructed, is it fixable, or are you just in that, okay, just expect Alabama's offense to hopefully boat race everybody for the remainder of the season? You know, I don't know, Thomas, if we're going to know the answer to that until we see him play a, a, a decent to really good offensive football team. Um, it's concerning that, you know, and I, I had these numbers. This is going to be close to right, but, I, you know, I had these numbers because, you know, I, I think a lot of the thought process by some people, um, you know, going into the season was, well, you know, Tosh LaPoy was an idiot and Pete Golding's a lot better and, you're going to see things differently. And, and look, at the end of the day, a lot of the issues last year, um, you know, you had a, a guy that, that uh, a two five-star inside linebackers. We're not talking about two, two, two true freshmen like there are out there now. But you had two very athletic and very talented. Um, you know, Dylan Moses was thought to be one of the best inside linebackers in the country of a, a top 20 draft pick before he got hurt. And, you know, Mac Wilson – um, although inconsistent, um, you know, during his Alabama careers, you know, flashed a lot, made a lot of big plays. And, That's and carried over really to the well. NFL. Shout out to Matt Breida putting Mac Wilson on skates, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, made the newspapers quite a bit um, in, a, in a short period of time with Cleveland for, you know, being a, a, a pretty um, – you know, kind of a steal of, you know, being able to get him in the fifth round for the way he had performed, you know, during the preseason. Um, you know, you, you don't have that now. And, and you know, what, what you're starting to see, and everything that you said from a schematic standpoint is 100% correct, but what you're starting to see is you, you, you've got a guy in Christian Harris that's, you know, a sideline-to-sideline side linebacker. I mean, he's still learning on the fly. You know, this is a new position for him. Uh, certainly a new level of football. Um, but, but, you know, I think Christian Harris has the athletic ability to be a three-down linebacker in the SEC. Um, Shane Lee, I think, probably could have been one 25 years ago. Um, but I, I'm, you're starting to see some limitations out of him. I mean, he, the guy plays his ass off. I'm not banging on Shane Lee. He is what he is, though. We all have strengths and weaknesses in everything that we do. But I'm just starting to see, you know, same guy that coached the linebackers last year that didn't do a great job, the guy that's coaching, you know, the linebackers this year, um, probably has a little bit more of an alibi this year than last year because of the youth and, you know, different type players there. Um, But, you know, you're starting to see, we've talked about this the whole season so far still not a consistent pass rush um yeah the defensive linemen are guessing at times and and not playing their two gap responsibilities which puts more pressure on the inside linebackers um you know they're guilty of guessing at times taking back at bad angles like you touched on um you know even sometimes when there is a good pass rush some of the guys in the secondary look lost at times i was expecting them to be um, a little bit more of a shutdown unit than they've shown so far. Um, that, that's all to say that could 
some of this stuff be fixed? And, and the easiest and simple answer would be the easiest way to fix it um, would be able to, 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 to quote Thomas Watts, generate some semblance of a pass rush from an organic standpoint. And if you can't do it, for the love of God, I, I saw more um, exotic blitzes and, and effective blitzes at the high school level in the late 80s in, in 6A Alabama football than I've seen out of Pete Golding so far. You know, I, I watch other, you know, teams that, that they're supposed to have good defenses, and, you know, I see a lot more imagination out of their, their defensive coordinator. That's something that I've always admired. Um, about Clemson's defensive coordinator, Brent Venerables. Um, say what you want about the guy, but, I mean, he, he can bring pressure from anywhere, and you don't see it coming until it's too late most of the time. Um, I, I'm just kind of interested and kind of, you know, waiting with bated breath. Um, you know, when they play, maybe maybe it's going to be LSU. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that Kellen Mond, from what I've seen so far this year, is going to be that guy, and, and as I sit here and say this at Wednesday at 6.53 p.m., you know, the guy will show up Saturday and play like Johnny Menzel. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. But they don't have – A&M doesn't have the offensive line um, that they've had, you know, in the last seven years. I guess, you know, Bruce and Clay Matthews finally ran out of children to throw out there, so – um, there, I don't think their offensive line's as good as it has been. I think Mon's been really inconsistent. You know, I, I just, you know, do I expect them to score points? Yeah, everybody else has, so why wouldn't they? Um, but, to, you know, to me, I, I just see a, you know, a perpetual problem that's shown up against multiple teams, and I'm just really interested to see if, if it is fixable, is it what it is. But, you know, if they can't – come up with a better and more consistent way to, to put pressure on the quarterback, um, there, there's going to come a time, probably multiple times during, you know, the month of November where it's going to become a problem and it's going to put a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on the back end of that defense. And that's really – that's the, uh, the the nervousness, the, the, the lack of organic pressure, you know, in – I'll, I'll defend Terrell Lewis in this way. He has been injured when he's been able to not be on a pitch count. He's been effective, but his effectiveness has been muted because he's not out there very much because, frankly, I end up feeling like the coaching staff is saving him for bigger games, which I guess makes sense but can be frustrating in the interim. Now, you mentioned – Exotic blitz packages, and, and that that actually leads me to something I've been kicking around in my head for, you know, at least half the season. And I'm going to pose the question to you, William: Does the inexperience, where the inexperience in Alabama's defense, essentially translated to the youth on offense are unable to? execute what you would call the base defense. I put base in air quotes, so just, you know, put air quotes around that statement. Does the does the inability at times frequently, frankly, for players to go through the base defense preclude the installation of the more exotic blitz packages? Because the other side of an exotic blitz package is by doing it, you are stressing some parts of the defense that you're scared of being stressed for. So, you know, where are you on that, William? 
Um, you know, you know, to answer your question, yeah, you're correct. But you know, at, at this stage, I mean, Terrell Lewis, who you know, when healthy, is obviously the best pass rusher on the team, maybe one of the best pass rushers in the country. But you know, he hasn't been able to be be counted on on a consistent basis this season because of you know nagging injuries. Um, you know, Anthony Jennings. Um, you know, I think is a, a Ryan Anderson, you know, type guy, maybe a poor man's Ryan Anderson. I don't think he's quite as good of a player as Ryan was. You know, he, he's a guy that's 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 going to make plays. He's going to do his job. But, you know, he's not a quick twitch, you know, guy like a Terrell Lewis or, you know, last year when, when he was healthy, a Christian Miller. Um, you know, he, he's, he's uh, you know, a good pass rusher, but he's not a great pass rusher. Um, you, you know, but if you can't do that, you know, as a defensive coordinator, um, you, you got to figure out a way to get pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, there, there's been times where they haven't gotten pressure and they've been playing, you know, nickel and dime back there, um, you know, in the secondary. And, you know, there's still been guys running wide open. Um, you know, fortunately, there's been bad passes thrown and passes dropped and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I just – I'm interested. I'm curious. You know, we we heard all this stuff about Pete Golding coming into the season. It was going to be better. We heard all this stuff about how, you know, much more tougher and how much more well-coached the outside linebackers were going to be under Sal Sanceri. Well, I hadn't seen it. Um, You know, two years ago when Tosh LaPoy was the outside linebacker coach, Alabama had the best pass rush in college football. Um, And and that, that was before Terrell Lewis was even a starter. So, you know, who knows? I mean, I'm not the guy that's making, you know, $9 million a year that that gets paid to make these decisions. Um, You know, and and, and also, too, I mean, um, you know, we we keep talking about the base defense and Alabama, um, you know, at least through the first, you know, the month of September, um, you know, doesn't play the base defense that much unless it's first and ten or, you know, third or fourth and short. You know, they're in the, the nickel and dime package 90% of the time because of the spread offenses that they play. And, uh, you know, we've probably spent too much time, you know, banging on the defense. You know, I'm not I'm not being critical of the players. I know they're doing the best that they can, and to a certain extent these coaches are doing the best that they can with, the, you know, the talent that they have to work with. Um, you, you would just think that after all the number one recruiting classes and, and you know, how Alabama develops players, um, that, that, you know, they wouldn't find themselves in this situation, um, you know, in, in 2019. I mean, it's been a long time, um, you know, since Alabama hasn't had a, you know, a top 15 defense. Um, and, and, you know, it's not like they've played – um, you know, the who's who of college football offensive minds. Um, you know, I guess you could throw Rich Rod, you know, into that conversation, but, you know, not when he's the OC at Ole Miss. They're not exactly uh, dripping wet with, with elite football players over there either. So, you know, I, I just think it's something to really pay attention to, um, you know, going forward probably as they get deeper into the schedule. I don't know if there's anybody, you know, that can really stress – uh, the defense consistently for four quarters on the schedule for the month of October. It's probably going to be, um, you know, LSU. And, you know, if they make it to the SEC championship game, you know, Georgia, 
Um, you know, I think everybody finally got to see what Auburn really is this past weekend, um, you know, down in the swamp. So, um, you know, Patrick Nix is going to be a good quarterback one day, but, you know, he's got a, a average offensive line with very average wide receivers, and he's, you know, getting the whole, you know, the whole thing dumped on his shoulders, which I don't agree with. I think he's actually, you know, performed pretty well for a true freshman quarterback. There's just not a lot of help, and, you know, let's be honest, you've got uh, the Gus bus back there having a nervous breakdown on the sidelines, pulling the trigger on the play calling again. So, um, you know, I just think it's something that has surprised me a little bit, you know, based on expectations and, you know, the talent on hand in Tuscaloosa. I, I just see a lot of areas for concern, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, on that defense. And it's at all three levels, you know, the D-line, the linebackers, and the DBs. Well, and I agree with you that we've banged on the defense a lot, and there are areas of concern that, you know, it's it. The, the jury is out, but at the same time, it's getting close to put up or shut up time in terms of the Alabama defense. But, you know, let, let's talk a little bit more. We, we've talked, we've bashed on the defense, and we talked a little Ole Miss, and I have to admit, I, I'm, I'm in your camp. Uh, before the Florida-Auburn game, one of the questions I had is, you know, what happens if Bo Nix has to win the game against a very good Florida defense? Because as much as everybody ballyhoos the Oregon defense, I don't know that there's a person on Oregon's defense that would start for Florida. So it was a completely different can of worms. And for all of Bo Nix's terrible stat lines, that doesn't include the fact that he probably should have thrown two or three more interceptions. I mean, it was, it was rough. But, you know, we've, kind of, we've talked about that. Let's, let's really kind of dig into the, the, the meat and potatoes of Texas A&M. Uh, Alabama, it's another CBS game because CBS apparently hates Alabama fans. Because Thanks, guys. But you know, Kellen Mond comes in, and I would call Texas A&M a disappointment. There was a lot of thought. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I personally thought that they were going to push for second-best team in the SEC West, even though there was a step back in talent. I thought Jimbo Fisher would be able to really get that team to turn the corner and have another second-year renaissance, which has been the mark of a really good football coach, both in the SEC and the rest of the country. And the performance against the Clemson Tigers – I guess you can excuse it because it was on the road and, you know, Death Valley light and it's the defending national champions and blah, blah, blah. But if you watch that game, Kellen Mond was missing wide open throws, which made the problem a lot worse than it was. And then, you know, that the, the to me, the Texas A&M narrative detonated when Auburn came in and really manhandled Texas A&M in Kyle Field in the 230 slot for CBS. And that's where, to me, the wheels started to fall off this program. Now, Jimbo Fisher will probably in the year 7-5, and five, some something like that, another 7-5 and five season. But I think they're competing much more as opposed to second in the SEC West. They're competing for third or fourth in the SEC – excuse me, fourth or fifth in the SEC West. And I don't know how the Texas A&M faithful are, are going to respond to their $75 million man getting in the bottom half of the West. 
But, you know, William, we've obviously seen this team a few times now. You know, they've beaten up on some cupcakes and been annihilated by good teams. What do you expect for, you know, if, as you watch Alabama take on Texas A&M at Kyle Field this weekend, what are some things that you're looking for offensively for this Crimson Tide team to be able to exploit against the Aggies? Well, I think the first thing that jumps out, you know, is is one of the things that, that I felt like I had, you know, circled this game this summer, uh, much like a lot of other people did, is, is you know, the first really big test. Um not not so much because I felt like Jimbo Fisher was going to turn, you know, Kellen Mond, um, you know, into Jameis Winston. I mean, there's there's no chance of that ever happening. Um, and, and you know, Thomas, let's let's aside from you know what Texas A&M is, you know, dumped in Jimbo Fisher's bank account. Um, you know, we, we should also mention I think they've spent close to a half of half a billion dollars on upgrading Kyle Field, you know, building one of college football's best football complexes. You know, the list goes on and on. I mean, they have really invented God knows they've got the money to do it. Um, but, you know, they want to see a return on that investment, which equals wins. And, you know, if Jimbo Fisher goes 7-5 and five this year, there's going to be a ton of pressure on him going into um, 2020. But, you know, I really felt like what I'd seen in the last couple of years with what Texas A&M had coming back on defense, I felt like they were going to have one of the better defensive lines in college football. And I thought this would be, you know, the, the, the game in the week where, you know, Alabama would want to have, um, you know, the best five on their offensive line, you know, tested, ready to go. Um, you know, it's a tough place to play. Um, they, they do have some good players um, on, on that interior defensive line that, that flash periodically. They're not real consistent. Um, but, but I think, you know, the, the, the pressure kind of shifts this week, at least on paper. Um, you know, can Alabama run the football on that front seven? You know, uh, can, can that front can, – can they protect Tua and give him time to do what he's done, um, you know, th- through the first – you know, part of the season, is he going to be able to stand back there and have time to let, you know, those four great wide or five great wide receivers, um, you know, get open. And uh, yeah, that, that to me is, is what I'm kind of circling as we sit here on a Wednesday evening talking about this stuff is I still have some questions, um, you know, whether or not the, the front, the Alabama offensive line can, can do both things effectively, and, but we'll find it out. Um, you know, Saturday pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I just don't know if, um, you know, Mond is consistent enough to, to keep pace um, with what you're probably going to see from a point output from Alabama's offense. Um, you know, and not all of that's his fault. You know, it's, it, it falls back on their offensive line. And, I um, mean, you know, I think they've got a decent running attack. But, you know, like you said, I mean, he has a tendency to um, – flush out of the pocket early, misses wide open wide receivers with errant throws. Um, so, you know, I, I would be shocked after what I've seen from them so far this season if Alabama doesn't win this game comfortably. Um, but, you know, I'm still interested in seeing some of the positional matchups, um, specifically Alabama's offensive line versus the defensive line of Texas A&M. I mean, they've got some really, really good – individual players at the defensive tackle spots. 
and that that's probably the topic du jour this week. Uh, Chris Owens, the center for Alabama over the past handful of games, has been limited in practice. You know, I just got an alert that he's been limited in practice even today as we're recording uh, BAM's radio. And so the starting offensive line is uh, Leatherwood into Evan Neal, uh, Landon Dickerson at center, Deontay Brown at right guard, and Jedrick Wills at right tackle. Uh, um, these guys have had at least a week to try and gel as a unit, uh, probably closer to a week and a half, even though a lot of bye weeks you try and do some fundamental work and clean some things up. What are your expectations? This will be another group that Alabama has deployed as a group of starters. Landon Dickerson's, at least his snapping in the handful of games that he ha- – not the handful, the one game he started at center due to the mash unit at the center position, they were um, literally up and down. You know, there, there's my there's my joke of the day. What are your offensive line expectations for this new group going into this hostile environment, William? You know, I'm I'm kind of excited to see it because I'm not sure if that's not the the best five um, lineup at the current time. You know, I've I've been less than impressed with what I've seen from Chris Chris a uh, healthy Chris Owens. Um, you know, I I really thought. Uh, was it the New Mexico State game that he started or played a lot at center and Saban was so critical of his play? Um, I, I'm talking about Dickerson. D- yeah, Dickerson, that was New Mexico State. And yeah. it was. And in uh, Dickerson's know, I, defense, that was his first time starting at center ever in football, in, in a game, in a game scenario. I, so I'll, I'll say that much I, for him, but anyway. Yeah, no, and I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I, I was a little bit surprised that, that, you know, Coach Saban was as snarky with his, you know, comments. You know, yeah, I mean, I saw the same low and high snaps that everybody else did, but um, I, I didn't see anything out of him from a, a technical standpoint that led me to believe that he didn't do, um, you know, just as good of a job as Chris Owens had done. Um you know, up to that point from as far as, you know, making his blocks and executing plays. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of, you know, video evidence um, of his play at, at guard um, that, that leads me to believe that he's got a chance to possibly be even a better center than, than Chris Owens has shown up to this point. You know, the, 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 the big issue with Owens, you know, is, is he's kind of what, what I would describe as a tweener at center. You know, he's – He's not Bradley Bozeman. I mean, he's not going to snap the football and, and maul people. You know, he doesn't generate a lot of power at the point of attack. So, you know, he's not a mauler. And, you know, he's not Ryan Kelly or Barrett Jones. I mean, he's not athletic enough to overcompensate for that lack of power. You know, Barrett Jones wasn't a, a guy that generated a lot of power at the point of attack either. Um, now, none of those guys were as athletic as Ryan Kelly. I mean, he's he's a guy that, you know, can get to the second level and get a hat on a linebacker as quick as anybody I've ever seen. And um, so, you know, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about a different animal. And, um, you know, I think that Saban went with the safe choice in Owens. I mean, he's the more experienced guy. You know, he, he hasn't played a lot of center himself. Um, you know, he's, he's bounced around and been kind of a swing guy his whole career. I mean, I've seen him in scrimmages play left tackle, um, you know, every position. So um, I like the move. I, I'll be interested to see how it works out. I'll be surprised if, if, it's, if it's not a positive. 
Um, you know, Dickerson generates a lot of power at the point of attack. He plays with a mean streak. Um, you know, he's proven to be a much better interior offensive lineman at Alabama, you know, than, than he was at Florida State. And, and also, you know, they, they made a huge mistake in trying to play him at right tackle early in his career, which he's just not um, made for. But um, I, I like that lineup. I mean, you've got three guys on the inside of the line there, and, and Neil and, and Dickerson and, and Cornbread that are all power guys. They can all push people off the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Leatherwood and Wills are both having really good years at left tackle and right tackle. So I'm excited to see it, Thomas. I, you know, is it going to be pretty, at all, you know, at times? Is there going to be some miscues? When, you know, there's going to be those, you know, in any game, no matter what your lineup is. But I, I think this is the closest that they've come so far this season into putting the, the, the five best guys, you know, out there um, at their individual positions. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. Well, th- that's a really good preview for what I was going to say because I- I'm also looking forward to this. Uh, when After the Ole Miss game, uh, Alabama's going into the bye week. There are a lot of questions of you know, where does Deontay Brown fit in? Do you want to put him at right guard? And the thing I always said is, or, or the, the thing I, I pushed back on the notion, specifically to say I don't think Landon Dickerson's done anything to lose his job, but I don't know if Landon Dickerson – is a good enough center. And then the obvious uh, extrapolation of that is, well, let's get, let's sit Evan Neal down. And Evan Neal is, he has, he's, he's one of those guys that has more athleticism in his pinky finger than a lot of people have in their entire bodies. And the unfortunate reality for Alabama fans is he's on campus for three years. And then he goes to the NFL draft as a first round draft pick as a tackle and, you know, we Alabama fans wish him well. Barring injury, blah, blah, blah. Same caveats apply. So I have to agree with you in that I'm excited to see this. I think this is the optimal scenario in terms of the best five because, as you said, Landon Dickerson, like, he might be a nice young fella off the field, but, my God, he wants to rip your head off, helmet and all, and carry it back and just laugh on the field, which is something that as you get into the Auburns and the LSUs and the really tough games that Alabama will almost certainly be facing towards the back end of the year, that mean streak can serve Alabama well. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be, it'll be something we'll damn sure talk about next BAMS radio just to see where our expectations met or not. And we'll see. I think that to the Alabama offensive line's credit, they had a rough start. I thought the first couple of games, they were working out the kinks. They were struggling. They were trying to get in positions, and particularly in the, the interior of the offensive line, a lot of it was trial by fire. And with trials by fire, sometimes you get burned, and sometimes you come out stronger. Now I really thought the Alabama offensive line going into you know Ole Miss, uh, Southern Miss, but Southern Miss, it's, it's Southern Miss, <laughs> Ole Miss, that, was, that turned into one of the strengths of the offense, which is kind of terrifying considering the strength everywhere else on that offensive group. So I'm looking forward to it as well. And, you know, we, we've kind of talked a little bit about the defense already, William, but you know, let, let's, let's directly tie some of our concerns that we talked about at the first part of the show 
into what we're seeing now with Texas A&M and how they want to attack you. Alabama is giving up something on the order of 420, 430 total yards in SEC play. And that might even be low. That that it, but it's it's it is enough to raise eyebrows when you look at the stat line. I'm gonna ask you to put on your 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 your, your futures hat. Sunday morning, wake up, open the paper, open your ESPN app, open your whatever the hell app. We're looking at the statistics for the Texas A&M offense against the Alabama defense. Where do you see this defense slotting in? Do you see another 400, 500 yards given up, or is the Alabama defense going to take a step forward in your mind? You know, and that's that's where I was going to when we were going over the the defensive woes earlier. And I'm pretty sure this is close to accurate because um, I looked at it after the old Miss game. I think through the first two SEC games of this year. Um, They've given up 30 more points, or you know, somewhere in that neighborhood, and um, you know, 450 more yards than the 2018 defense gave up through their first two SEC games. Um, I, I think it'll be, you know, somewhere around the 400 to 430 yard um, type yardage given up and, you know, somewhere in the, the low to mid-20s. I mean, I, I don't expect them to shut Texas A&M out. Um, you know, I, I That'd be a hell of a thing if they point. did. That would destroy all the narratives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, somewhere between four and 430 yards given up, maybe 375 if, if you want to go on the low end. And, you know, somewhere between 17 and 24 points. Um, that's that's kind of my expectation. Well, I'll actually take up for the defense here and talk a little bit more about particularly the Ole Miss game, but something that I've noticed, and it's alarming, but it's also explanatory. You look at the Alabama Ole Miss game. Let's just use that as, as, as the example, even though this kind of happened at South Carolina too, except for a crazy pass that, frankly, any quarterback coach in the country is looking at Ryan Holinsky like there's snakes coming out of his head after he threw it between two players, between two opposing defenders. Anyway, the Alabama defense it, it goes into the second quarter. It's 10-10 or 10-7 or 7-10, whatever, or 14-10. And if you look at the Ole Miss drive chart, it was put in a bad position for the touchdown. Now, that's not to say that they played that drive perfectly, because they did not. But they didn't give up a ton of yards. They did give up a touchdown. Then they gave up the field goal drive. But otherwise, they didn't get a lot and were able to really hold Ole Miss down in the second quarter as Alabama's offense started firing on all cylinders to where you look up and it's 45-10. The vast majority of the Ole Miss yards were in the second half when Alabama was comfortably ahead. Uh, well, comfortably is kind of subjective considering Al, uh, Nick Saban kept his starters both first-team offense and first-team defense in for a long time against the Rebels. But how valid is the notion, William, that the Alabama defense is able to hold a team down long enough for the offense to jump all over them 
and you know, get up 35 15, 35-10, 35-21, 42-21, scores like that, you know, is that just kind of let's put on our crimson-colored glasses and then put on our second set of crimson-colored glasses and make an argument that is kind of a logical stretch. Let's call it a logical stretch, but has some basis in reality. You know, where do you see that in terms of how you parse these these statistics? And if that happened, do you see something happening again against the Aggies this Saturday? Yeah, I can certainly see the scenario playing itself out again. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, um, you know, what, what your, your response to that is, you know, when the, you know, when you get a lead, uh, you know, whether the first team guys are still in there, you've already gone to, you know, because some of these leads were quite substantial. If you've already gone to, you know, widespread substitution, you know, when those backups get in there, when those, you know, second tier guys get in there, you know, they're expected to play to a standard as well. And, um, you know, to, to me, I mean, Thomas, I don't think we would be having this conversation if both both times were against teams that were, you know, really, really overmatched, at least on paper from a talent standpoint, and they weren't both true freshman quarterbacks. You know, I think that kind of adds to the um, the angst here a little bit. But, um, yeah, I can certainly see the same scenario playing out. You know, if Alabama jumps up to a, you know, 24, 28-point lead early, yeah, I, I think due to the youth and the inexperience and, you know, the new faces on the coaching staff and, and all that stuff, I can certainly see the same scenario playing out where there's, um, you know, not necessarily a, a physical um, – let down, but but certainly the same mental lapses that we've seen so far in the season for sure. And and just to jump in real quick, uh, he has shown up. The uh, he's going to throw me back in the production cage. We got Drew DeArmond with us. Drew, how you doing this evening, buddy? Welcome to Bams Radio. Thanks, guys. Uh, always good to be with you. Hope you can hear me okay. You're uh, golden. I don't even have to edit it this time, and that's not hey, getting edited. Hey, and I'm, and I'm glad I'm glad you just showed up, Drew, because now I got to go. <laughs> well, no problem. Well, thank you, William, for your uh, for yeah. uh, hanging in there hey, with us I, tonight. And yeah, and I enjoyed it, Thomas. Thank you. Oh, William. absolutely, good conversation, William. Have All a great right. rest of your evening right. and enjoy yourself. All right, see you next week, man. Yes, sir. And I and Thomas, I guess to set the floor for me, just get. Give me uh, you, you and uh, William's thoughts on the game, and then I'll chime in. Absolutely. So we spent the first part of the show kind of going over some of the, 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 the X's and O's, the guts and bolts of defensive lapses. But Count Me is one of the folks that is willing to kind of measure defensive improvement. Like It's not, it's not going to be leaps and bounds in terms of, you know, Young players are going to make young mistakes. But when the game has been in question, and yes, Alabama has overmatched all of the players, all the teams that they've competed with thus far. But essentially, my argument, the argument you just heard, is that the Alabama defense has been able to bow their necks and make two or three key stops and keep the rolling offense. You know, what was it? The, the, the funny thing, if you look at the Devontae Smith five-touchdown performance against the Ole Miss Rebels, four of those touchdowns were in like 20 minutes of real time, which means Alabama's defense is either getting turnovers, forcing fast three and outs, 
or Alabama scoring in two plays or all of the above. But just to sort of set the stage, you know, we talked a little bit about the offensive line with Chris Owens' injury and what you came in on was does that sort of we'll hold you down for two quarters and our offense will get us up by 30 and then we'll have some mental lapses and fans will scream bloody murder saying the defense sucks and it, you know, fire Pete Golding and fire Nick Saban and fire Greg Byrne and fire Kay Ivey and fire Donald Trump. As long as we get a better defense, that's going to be the narrative. That's kind of where we were as you came on with us, Drew. Well, you know, I, here's the thing. I, I do. I am intrigued by the offensive line. At least Landon Dickerson has already started one game this year, as we all know. He started, I believe, against New Mexico State uh, when uh, Chris Owens was a little bit banged up. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, I, and I thought he did a solid job uh, for him in that ball game. So, uh, you know, they, they needed, uh, you know, uh, to kind of experiment in that way and, and see, uh, you know, Landon Dickerson uh, start and, it, it, Thomas, I believe, I believe it was the it was either New Mexico State or Southern Mississippi. I'm trying to remember which game uh, that Landon Dickerson started. It was New Mexico uh, State, second game of the year. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I, I just I, I, they needed him to. I think they wanted to see him there and and see if he could play the position. And I remember asking Tua about that, and he said he thought he only really had one snap. It was a little high. I thought the O line played a little bit better in that game. But I think we've all been waiting for Deontay Brown, a.k.a. Cornbread, to come back. He played quite a bit against Ole Miss at both right and left guard. Uh, and so I think they've been – and, I, you know, I talked to Kyle Flood this uh, spring, and he basically said they had big plans for Deontay Brown. So I'm not surprised, and I'm sure that Owens is a little banged up. But I think, quite frankly, they want to see what uh, Deontay Brown looks like in the starting lineup. If he plays well – I wouldn't be surprised if this O-line, they go this configuration going forward. Uh, you know, and, and people have asked me about Darian Dalcourt. I just don't think you want to start a true freshman in his first game on the road in the SEC because he's he's uh, straight out of high school. He certainly has a lot of potential. He's been getting better in practice. But you want to have somebody that's got some experience. And Dickerson has played a lot of football at Alabama and Florida State. And now he has played at least one game at center. It's still a little concerning. But I think we all the more the thing I'm more excited about though is when we saw Deontay Brown in the lineup of those five starts last year, Thomas. It really made a difference with the interior running game. So with him and Jedrick Wills on that right side, and then you've got Landon Dickerson at center, a nasty guy. Uh, I think we've seen much improved play since New Mexico State and Southern Miss. Evan Neal really I thought played well against Southern Mississippi. Uh, he struggled a little bit against New Mexico State, but and then Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. I'm anxious to see this five-man uh, lineup against uh, Texas A&M, who has I, – I think they have a good front on defense, not great. Uh, they're better against the run, better against the pass, than they have been defensively under Mike Elko than they were when Kevin Sumlin was there. But I still don't think they're elite, and I think Alabama can have some success running the ball. It goes down back to what I've said on this show and, my, uh, and on ESPN 97.7 Zone and some other shows throughout the Southeast. Is that I think – the magic number is Alabama needs to commit to the run each game, commit to balance. Last game they had 36 pass plays uh, against Ole Miss and 30 runs. 
They need to hit that magic 30 mark against A&M. If they have, it means they've been balanced. They've been able to stay on the field. And if they hit 150 rushing yards, the other magic number for me, Thomas, then I think there's not a team in the country that can hold them out of the low 30s and can stop this offense. And I think Alabama, if they hit the high 30s, they're going to win comfortably on Saturday night. You know, you touched on something, and I've had a few behind-the-scenes knockdown dragouts with Georgia fans, and it's something we've talked about on this show before. What Alabama did with pushing to a Tonga Vailoa, more spread principles, more throw the ball around the yard, changed the paradigm from what it, you know, you talk about what does it take to beat Alabama up until, let's call the start of the Jalen Hurts era, continuing into the Tuatonga Vailoa era. Before it was, you score 30, 35, you have a real good chance of beating Alabama. You remember the first Clemson game was 45-40, and I, yeah. I, I damn near had an aneurysm. I mean, I was, ho, oh, oh. ho. My good friend Jack Daniels and I became even better friends about around Q4, put it to you that way. But the paradigm shifted where if you want to beat Alabama, you have to be willing to score. You have to be able, not willing, you have to be able to score 45 or 50. And I look at this Texas A&M team, and where have they really struggled? They've struggled. What, what makes the Jimbo Fisher offense go is running the ball. A&M wants right. to run to set up the pass run to set up the play action, to give Kellen Mond a couple of extra seconds to survey and throw to very tall athletic receivers. That That's that's the A&M game plan. Like, if you set Jimbo Fisher down, hooked him up to a lie detector, and put a gun to his head and said, tell me exactly how you want to channel your, off, your offense to perform against Alabama, Clemson, LSU, blah, blah, blah. He would say, run the ball to set up the play action pass. And... It gives me some concern because Alabama has not been as good stopping the run, but A&M has just, and we touched on this briefly, Drew, A&M has been, to me, a disappointment. The offensive line has been nothing less than a disaster. They haven't been able to do anything to establish the run, and most of Kellen Mond's statistics against teams with a pulse actually occur after A&M's down three and four and five scores. So I don't care about them. I don't think Texas A&M has the offense to keep up with Alabama, even with the, even with the Alabama defense kind of limping along slightly as they're coming into this game. But I don't think Texas A&M's defense is good enough to keep Alabama under 40. Like I, put it, let me put it to you this way, Drew. I look out on the landscape and the only defense that even makes me take a deep breath in terms of, oh, this team is going to be a problem should the Crimson Tide match up to them defensively is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Georgia's in the realm, so is Florida, but there's some other things with those two teams that don't worry me at all. The only team defensively that gives me pause through, through six weeks of the year now is the Ohio State Buckeyes. And... Um, only in the Texas A&M Aggies' dreams are they even in the same zip code as the Ohio State Buckeyes on a talent and experience level. So I think I don't think the Aggie defense can hold the Alabama offense under 40. I don't think the Aggie offense can keep up with that. Alabama wins going away. 
as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I like 37-17. I think Alabama can cover. It might be worse than that, but, you know, I, I do think the defense will probably have a few issues with mine. Though I think having an off week actually helped and to try to get game plan for the quarterback runs because, you know, I know he hasn't been running a lot, but if Jimbo Fisher's smart, he will use that because Alabama had trouble with John Reese Plumley of Ole Miss, who's one of my favorite young players I've seen. But as you know, Kellen Mond is more Jalen Hurts than Reese Plumley. The kind of quarterbacks that have always bothered Alabama are the ones that are shifty and fast because they can make guys miss, they can get outside containment and make plays. Mond has straight ahead speed. He's a guy that can break tackles a little bit. He's a bigger quarterback, physical. So, but Alabama should be able to game plan for him. He's not the shiftiest guy, in my opinion, and be able to get him on the ground. So uh, I, I, what I'm anxious to see more than anything is I think this offense is going to continue to roll, Thomas, and the running game is going to keep getting better, is how much after an off week is this defense going to improve? We've already heard Nick Saban today, both the teleconference and at his weekly press conference, talking about how they spent the bye week, extra film time, extra time with the linebackers, trying to, you know, get them more comfortable schematically and with what they may see with these quarterback runs. I want The last home road game we saw, a true road game, you saw some stage fright, Thomas, against South Carolina. That was not – Alabama didn't play, I don't think, super poorly, but they didn't play great. And they left some defensive plays out on the field that, you know, they should have beaten South Carolina worse than they did. I want to see if there's uh, more issues with lining up communication issues at Texas A&M. If there is, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to start having severe doubts about Pete Golding long term and whether or not this team can win a national championship. Because to be frank, you just said it. Texas A&M is a good team, not great team. And if Alabama's having to go into the fourth quarter with these dudes, with who they've got left, but you know LSU definitely going to Auburn. Uh, who's still a good football team, good, really good defense, and then potentially Georgia, that could mean some problems down the, you know, coming uh, down the stretch. It could, and I think the – I'm not – let me put it to you this way. I am not at the point of criticizing Pete Golding because right. I think more than anything, as I watch this uh, this team compete, I feel like he's hamstrung. It's like he's he's trying so hard to get the basic defensive concepts executed properly that he's gun shy to call an exotic blitz, a blitz that'll put a different set of stresses on one of his young players. So I actually I'm not off the Golding bus yet. I think he's been dealt a pretty crappy hand this season, quite frankly. And 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 let, let's let's just play a what if game. Just, just bear here. Bear with me, Drew. Take, take Isaiah Simmons off the Clemson Tigers defense. Take, right. cha- take Chase Young, and all of the linebackers off the Ohio State Buckeyes defense, who I just mentioned. Take, you know, all of the linebackers off of Kirby Smart's defense. You're going to see some differences there. Like like any fan who says you're not when you pull dudes off like that is it, like like take your team colored glasses off because you are so painfully biased that we can't even have a legitimate conversation. So 
what is that? What, what what is my point here? Well, McMillan and Moses, key injuries. The entire defensive line has spent time on in the training room for injuries. The starting defensive line against Duke, excuse me. So I'm not off the Pete Golding train. Uh, now, if we have this conversation in the SEC championship and DeAndre Swift does what is illegal to many in many states to Shane Lee in terms of taking bad angles and whatnot, talk to me then. I'll actually take up for Pete Golding because the guys he thought he could count on are not there. And yes, you're paid a ton of money to fill those gaps, but I would argue that this injury situation in the front seven for Alabama has precluded that. Now, the follow-up, the question that I hope you would ask me, and I'm going to ask myself because I'm that much of a jerk as a, as a commentator can this Alabama defense, even with that, win a national championship? And the short answer that I have for you in that case is, I don't know. Because, well, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, I understand. <coughs> uh, I, you know, and, I, and again, I'm not off the golden train completely either. I, I have concerns. I want to see if this team plays better in this second road, true road environment uh, than they did against South Carolina. And I want to see if they, you know, look uh, like a well-coached team, cut down on the penalties, tackle better, you know, limit the big plays. Because if they do, it's going to be tough on the on Texas A&M. There's no question about it. And I just want to see if they're, uh, they're more sound fundamentally. They have a good secondary who I think – I think uh, – uh, Jordan Battle is getting better every game. I think he's going to continue to play a key role. I think Xavier McKinney's been as good as any safety in the country. Hopefully, Sertain is getting, uh, uh, you know, settled in, to, in as, as we reach the midpoint of his sophomore year. I really think Diggs has played well. Cheyenne Carter has been a little bit of a disappointment because he's made some mistakes that you don't think a senior should. But around this time last year, he stepped up. So hopefully that off week was good for him to get refocused. He can play well. But I think another big part of this, and you mentioned all these pass rushers, uh, the Chase Youngs of the world and Isaiah Simmons and all these guys, I'll say this, in great players, one uh, underrated part of that South Carolina performance, too, was the re-injury and the, and the, uh, the spraining of the knee and then the, the, the subsequent surgery from, uh, you know, for, for uh, Terrell Lewis. He's had that off week, and they've been able to rest him. Anthony Jennings and Xavier McKinney have been the two most consistent guys on D. If 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 the first round pick Terrell Lewis is feeling good and shows up against A&M Thomas, I think he's going to give them some severe problems as a pass rusher. And I think Alabama will play better defensively. He's one of the keys down the stretch. If he plays up to his potential, and we've seen it in flashes. And this Alabama team, I think they can be a, a, team, a, a good enough defense to win a national championship because they don't have to be even nearly as good as that 2016 group. They just need to be good to very good, and I think they're capable of that. And I think Alabama can win it all because I think this offense is on the way to being the best in college football. I think this offense, the 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 so the short version of that is I want to see what Oklahoma does against Texas. Because that's really right. the first defense. 
with even an assumption of a pulse, even though Texas, from a past defense standpoint, is bad and they've got five starters hurt and blah, blah, blah. But I'm actually, I want to see this defense, because if you look at the first five games, yes, the Nick Saban play to a standard, you know, let's, let's take the Sabanisms play to a standard process, blah, 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 and just put them on the side. And understand that in big games, players play to a different level. In general, you know, good Lord, Quinn and Williams last year, as good as he was, rewatch him in the LSU game. Like, like, just put on the LSU tape. If the only thing you sent to the NFL was his LSU tape, he's a first-round draft pick. Period. So, I think, you know, more than anything, the situation to me... I want to see that what happens when this team really gets pushed, particularly defensively, by a team that can keep up. And one of the parts of that that you accurately hit on is, are we going to have a, an unleashing of Terrell Lewis? You know, it, I personally think he's been on what amounts to a pitch count. By the time yes. Alabama gets up by 20, 25, 28, 35, Terrell Lewis can go take some splinters out of his booty because he's sitting on the bench. And that's okay. Like I, you do not need to go get re-injured again when Alabama's up thirty-five. But what what's going to happen if if that comes to pass? Uh, one of the things we talked about before you came on with us, Drew William, and I did is what happens if Alabama is able to generate organic pressure. And I didn't explicitly say it, but I'll say it because you know you brought it up. If Alabama is able to generate pressure with four, and when I say four, I mean Terrell Lewis and the three defensive linemen, that's going to cure a lot of the evils that this defense has. I mean, Joe Burrows played really, really well for the first few weeks of the year. There has not been a quarterback born from Pop Warner to Nick Saban that can throw seven touchdowns on his ass. So... That can cure a lot of problems. Now, we'll, I, I, as, a, as a fan that believes that it's not enough to just turn it on against the big teams, against the big. I, I want to see it before that. But if it comes to pass that everybody gets up for LSU and Joe Burrow becomes Joe Burrow and the, the Joe Burrow carrots, I guess I can live with that too. Yeah, and I'm anxious to see uh, another hidden thing. Who's going to punt on Saturday? Because Will Riker did some kicking today, and I talked to someone close to him yesterday. He wasn't sure if he kicked. Didn't sound like he might have on Tuesday, but they didn't know for sure. So he did today. I almost think, Thomas, that he, when he comes back, I think he was going to handle all duties when he got injured against Southern Miss. I believe he may come back as the punter first because I think you, you would agree with me that, that DeLong has not been bad. He's been putrid. He oh, has been just snakes horrific. in his head. I mean, once again, I mean, and now for the last week, we've heard about Ty Pirine, the walk-on, the uh, who had punted some in warm-ups from Prattville, uh, and of course, last year we got win before the Tennessee game in Knoxville that they made a change to Bernier, and he did okay. But I, if Bernier had been in the program at least. I just don't see, and I may be wrong here, but I just don't see. Uh, them putting Ty Pirine back there 
to punt as a true freshman on the road at Texas A&M, unless he's just had an exceptional week of practice. I think they would either give DeLaw another shot or go uh, with Reichert, and we may see Bulifus handle the kicking, uh, both the uh, place kicking and the kicking off, while Reichert just eases back in as the punter. I mean, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because to me, at least we know Bulifus has been on the road in the uh, SEC and been a place kicker. What are my thoughts on place kicking? Um, send up a few prayers for Will Reichert's hip flexor because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, oh lordy, that's the only way I can put it. Just oh lordy. Now to your specific question, you know, once we get past the hyperbole, I have a hard time believing a true freshman's going to see any sort of meaningful snaps as a kicker, as a, as a punter. I I think at this point, as much as we said, you know, the Crimson Tide kind of is what they are, what they are, they is what they is at this point, that particularly applies to punting and place kicking. We know what Bullivus is. He's, nah. We know what DeLong is. He's, you know. Worse. Indi- well, put it to you this way. Bullivus would be anti-Indiana Jones because of all the snakes. Indiana Jones would take one look at Skylar DeLong's head and jump on a plane to Mars to get away from them. There's so many snakes there. But, you know, it is – Alabama is what – are what they are on – in terms of special teams kicking. And, you know, I guess my counter question to you would be, how much of this is on Jeff Banks as a special teams coordinator? Because when he came over from Texas A&M, he was both the godlike, super grand poobah, lord of all things awesome recruiter, and one of the best special teams coaches in the country. And, you know, we're now a year and a half in, and I have to say, I'm not that impressed. So where are you on all of that? Like, where, where's the root of this problem, Drew? Well, great players make great coaches. And I remember asking Jeff Banks, you know, uh, probably around a year ago uh, or, or maybe seven, eight, nine months about the kickers. And he asked me if I had seen Will Reichert. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, he's big time. So I think as soon as they think he's healthy enough, it wouldn't surprise me if he was doing everything again. I just am not sure it's going to be in this game. And it may be that they want to put him back in place kicking and kicking off and that they'll try DeLong or perhaps shock us and put P. Ryan back there. Uh, you know, I, I, but I just think right now, Bulifus, you got to understand, he has struggled a little bit. He hit the upright last a couple weeks ago. But what he, if you remember his, M.O., he missed nine extra points last year, but he actually was pretty solid on field goals, Thomas. So, And if you're Alabama, I'll be blunt. You shouldn't be having to, to uh, worry about uh, field goals to beat Texas A&M. You should be able to make extra points. I do think you may have to punt a couple of times maybe. That's more worrisome to me than the place kicking, even if Bullivis is doing it. And that's why I talked about Riker maybe doing the punting. Uh, but we'll see. Because <laughs> It's a travel roster, you know, so I have a funny feeling Bernie or may not travel, but I bet P. Ryan does, and he'll at least warm up. I'm going to be interested to see uh, how much rope they give DeLong because he looked better in the spring, Thomas, but, oh, my Lord, he's reverted in the fall. 
I just don't think he's ever going to get it. I'm just going to be blunt about that. And so uh, I just I, I, I don't have any confidence in him, and that's why I'm talking about Will Reichert, you know, uh, potentially maybe punting and bull of his place kicking. But who knows? Maybe we'll be shocked in another way and that Reichert will be ready to do everything again. I just don't think they want to push him because you don't want to get re-injured. So I'll be interested to see what he's more comfortable doing. And again, Bullivis at least has some experience while uh, DeLong does, but DeLong is all pretty much negative. So I'm going to be really interested uh, to see how that uh, comes about. I think the only way this is a close game, Thomas, is if Alabama does make mistakes like that in the kicking game and if they turn the ball over. If they're solid in the kicking game, they don't shank punts when they have to punt. If they make extra points, a short field goal, which I have a make uh, or two, which I have a making a couple in the game, and then they don't turn it over, I think Alabama covers in this game, even though the spread's anywhere from 17.5 to 18.5. Well, I think in terms of how Alabama, cover, how Alabama covers this game, they show up and do what they've been doing offensively. How Alabama right. fails to cover this game, the offense makes more mistakes than they've made with the exception of Clemson and Georgia. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, except if you pull out those two games, and I realize those are two big games, but pull those two games out, they make more mistakes than they've shown in a, a, a penchant to make. So I think Alabama covering's completely fair. And how the game's going to go, I, shoot. I personally think Alabama's going to do what they've done and just jump on A&M early, knock the crowd out of it, and cruise. I, I, you know, This is kind of a circle of the wagons game for Jimbo Fisher because of some of the early season struggles, but I, I'm sorry. I just don't see it. I do have Alabama covering, and I have them, you know, we're looking at, I think, like a 48 or a 52-23 kind of game all day, every day, because I think Alabama did – you know when do you when do you want a bye week whenever you can but in Alabama's case to get some young players a chance to study their mistakes as opposed to Tom comment to typical game week prep where oh I study what I did wrong in this game on Saturday maybe I study it again on Monday but by Tuesday I'm doing fundamentals and install for next week so I can't really absorb it so I do expect Alabama to take a step forward this week, Drew, and I think it's going to be kind of ugly. And we're going to start hearing, you know, if I had to guess, what we're talking about on BAMS Radio next weekend is discontent, uh, discontent down in College Station because Alabama kind of whooped that booty. Yeah, because I think they'll be headed to a five-loss season, uh, you know, because they still got to play the LSU Tigers. They still got to play Georgia. And, of course, this will be year two for Jimbo. But I think they're still a year away. I think Alabama's going to stop Spiller. I want to see them improve against the run. They weren't very good against Carolina at times. I want them to hold them to 120 yards or less. If they do that and they pressure mine, get a couple turnovers, I'm like you. I think it's going to be 37-17, but it could be worse. And I think Tua's going to keep rolling. As long as he protects the ball, Alabama will be fine. And, they, and the O-line protects him. Yeah, I think he's been the best player in college football, and I think this has the potential to be a bloodbath in College Station, but I definitely believe that Alabama's the better team. I know uh, coming off of a bye, it's a double bye this year, and I think it came at a good time because 
I think Alabama, especially some of these freshmen, were getting fatigued. It allows them to get their, uh, you know, their uh, their their legs back underneath them and play with confidence. And I think uh, Alabama is going to win this game, win it impressively. I'm looking for both running backs, Brian Robinson, Najee Harris, to continue to play a better football of this O line. I'm looking to give a game ball to the O line as a whole. I think they're going to step up. They're going to do their jobs. And then Tua and these receivers are incomparable. They're the best in the country. And I think, uh, you know, Texas A&M has improved on D, but not to the point where they can stop an offense like this. And I think Alabama is going to roll. And I look for, you know, Tua Tungvaluwa, the wide receivers have big games, running backs to provide balance. And then, as we said, I I look for the O-line to be the MVP. And then the D-line, I look for them to play better against the run. And then for Terrell Lewis to have his best game, I'm going to predict two sacks for number 24 and more good play from his compadre, Anthony Jennings. And I think the tide is going to roll, and we'll talk about that next week on BAM's radio. And and then uh, just uh, and and then of course they'll have uh, home games coming up against Tennessee. Finally, a night game and uh, against their longtime rivals from Knoxville, and then against Arkansas. We should be a couple more games to tune up before LSU. Uh, and they'll, of course, have a bye week in between then as well to get healthy. So if Alabama can get past this road test in College Station, they're going to set themselves up for a big November, no doubt about it. But I want to thank everyone for listening to uh, uh, our uh, podcast, Bams Radio. Sorry we were a little bit later this week. We've had I've had a busy week. I know William's been busy and Thomas as well. Uh, but uh, and it's been a little bit different tonight. I had to join in, uh, you know, around a little past the halfway point because I was taking care of some stuff for my uh, regular radio show on ESPN 97.7 The Zone. But I always enjoy the Crimson Tide football talk. I want to thank uh, William Redfish Barger for, you know, getting us started, Thomas Watts for what he does behind the scenes. And, of course, you heard him giving his take a lot on this show this week. Uh, And, of course, I hope you enjoyed my analysis. I just think Alabama has the advantage in the two most crucial areas on the offensive and defensive lines, even though there's been some shuffling. I still like Alabama's O-line better than Texas A&M's, and I like Alabama's D-line better. I think the D-line's young, but I think it can, it, they're going to be due to play their best game, and I think the Tide is going to get it done once again in College Station. So for everybody, I hope you have a great evening. We'll be coming to you live next week, recapping this game and hopefully looking ahead to, once again, the storied rivalry with Tennessee and Alabama looking to win their 13th straight over the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, but uh, I'm your host, Rudy Allman, for Thomas Watts, for William Redfish Barger. Good night and roll tide.